This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with a good friend, Christopher Parente of Storytech Consulting. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Thanks a lot, Mark. Uh, appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, Chris and I have known each other for quite a while. We met, I don't even know when, why, but we, we did some work together with uh, Market Connections. We're now uh, co-chairing the uh, speaker group for Government Marketing University's ideation calls. And if, if you haven't tapped into the ideation calls, go to governmentmarketinguniversity.com and click on the ideation page. These are calls that occur September and October. They'll only be twice a week, probably Tuesday and Friday. Uh, Tuesday, there'll be a speaker. Friday's kind of a free-for-all, but it's it's a, a group of marketing professionals in the government market that gets together, and we chat uh, Tuesdays about very specific subjects, and they're really quite informative. And it's also good to share ideas with your peers. So, uh, thank you for, for uh, partnering with me on that one, Chris. Absolutely, Mark. And may I say quickly, kudos to Luann Brossman, founder of uh, Government Marketing University, for starting those calls right after the epi- uh, the pandemic hit. And may I say that there's always uh, two sides of the coin in life. And the fact that we're all working from home and we're connecting through things like Zoom it's given me an opportunity to kind of uh, reconnect with uh, uh, very uh, old colleagues and acquaintances. And um, so uh, that's been a benefit amongst all the other challenges we're facing these days. Yeah. And not just old ones, new ones, you know, the, I, right, some right. of the people on the calls are not local like Sherry Asensio. I've, I've kind of known for a long time. She's out on the West coast. You know, I've gotten to know her a lot better since these Martha Doris, former right. senior government official. But anyway, let's get a Chris and I, Chris did a presentation at uh, ideation recently on content ROI. And anybody who's read my stuff before knows that about 30% of what I write about is content. And, but the ROI factor is pretty cool. So number one, Chris, tell people uh, who you are, uh, how you've been involved in this market. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. And I'll, I'll give you the executive uh, summary version. You know, I got started in communications on the uh, client side of things. And through no prescience of my own, I've been very fortunate. I've kind of been on the forefront of some major technological changes in communications. I was at uh, CTIA, Cellular Telecom Internet Association, in the aftermath of the Wireless Act of 96, that uh, Telecom Act, rather, of 96, that uh, privatized and, and unleashed a lot of innovation around the wireless industry. I was a very early hire at the company that became Advertising.com, so I had a front seat in the 
invention really of online advertising and pay-per-click advertising. Now, maybe maybe some would say that's that's not been an un, unalloyed good, but uh, it was certainly a, an extremely exciting time for me. And then and then I spent 10 years at Strategic Communications Group, a business to government focused agency. So I wanted to have experience on both sides of the street. And for the past six years, I've been running StoryTech uh, Consulting. So I, you know, I, I've been a client, I've been on the agency side. So I try to take both of those understandings into my uh, customer engagements. So you worked with Mr. Hausman? I did. There you I go. Did. Yeah, did for yeah. for uh, yeah for almost ten years. It's funny yeah. when I joined, I said, you know what, I you know we'll see what the agency world is like, and if you know if it doesn't work out, it'll be a good experience. And was there for almost ten years. And I should say, continuing on the transformation angle, that's when the ubiquitous internet, social media exploded, the rise of the enlightened buyer. So being there was uh, was an incredibly um, educational experience for me because as you know virtually everything changed on how you sell to the government and to be there and to be in the midst of it was an incredibly exciting time i mean you and i were just talking recently about the days of government 2.0 and the superstars on social media and and uh all of that back i can't believe it's been 10 years ago yeah it's uh well you know when i started my company in 1985 it was uh, in large part providing mailing lists of key government people to industry, uh, <laughs> which taught me the uh, the best ways to get mail into the government because I'd actually go to federal mailrooms. So uh-huh. I've been through several incarnations, you know, the wow. snail mail world, the advent of email with Netscape in uh, 95, the Web 2.0 dot bomb debacle when you were probably at advertising.com then. So, but you know, the advent of web 2.0, but you know, here's, here's the cool thing. So I've been on LinkedIn for 16 years now. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a while and it took a while for it to get a little bit of traction, but I got on LinkedIn and I sat there and waited. And in 2007, I read David Meerman Scott's first edition of the new rules of marketing and PR he didn't mention LinkedIn at all, but I had also read Jason Alba's book, I'm on LinkedIn, Now What?, which talked about the mechanics of LinkedIn. And by that time, I'd been on for three years. So I looked uh, at David's book, and what he was talking about was the democratization of being able to develop and disseminate content on your own, bypassing traditional media outlets. Right. So I took what Jason was talking about and on LinkedIn and leveraged what uh, David was talking about and, you know, took off. So give me a a three-minute or four-minute overview of your view of the value of content. Sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, really, it, it starts with what you just mentioned, Mark, the fact that, you know, in the past, you had to go through the media gatekeeper to reach your target audience. And, you know, starting about, you know, 10, 12 years ago, there was the opportunity to create your own content, which a lot of people in the marketing business call owned content, right? Because you're creating it. So that is a very, very valuable part of the mix. Now, I think you've also heard me talk a lot, and I I don't mean to hit you up with acronyms, but, you know, the PISO model of content marketing. So, 
basically that means, you know, there's the paid element, advertising. There's the earned element. That's a lot of people think of that as traditional public relations, right? Calling up, you know, please write a story about my client. You've got the shared element, which is the pretty much the social media, but it could also be syndication. How are you getting your content out? And then there's the owned portion. That's the content that you create yourself. So a lot of times I work with clients to make sure that we try to be holistic about managing the, all those four elements. All that content should be complementary. It should be consistent. And you might say, well, Chris, geez, that's common sense. But a lot of times I work for clients and the person that owns the advertising budget is not the same person who runs social media, who is not the same person who's creating owned content. And you see this especially as companies go get larger in size. So those are the components of a content marketing uh, strategy. Chris, hold that thought. We'll uh, pick it up on the other side. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Chris Parente and I will be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Chris Parente. We went through the uh, uh, the paid, the earned, the shared content, the owned content. So where does this take you uh, now? What, what's next? Well, you know, Mark, I wanted to I wanted to say that you know we just talked about the democratization of content and the fact that you can create your own content and in effect go around the government filter. But at the same time, you know, during this pandemic, as you know, there have been no physical events, which is a huge part of the marketing budget of government contractors as a way to reach uh, federal decision makers. And so as a result of that, the government publishers, the publishers, government executive, federal news radio, federal news radio, 1105 is now public sector 360, right? All of you folks are getting all of these uh, contract. The contractors are turning to you because they can't have the physical event. So at the same time that content has been democratized, the pandemic has created a situation where they have to come to the the publishers who have high quality uh, audience, you know, and and the demographics that they want to reach. So it, it's a bit ironic what the what the pandemic has done in the in the B two G space, in my opinion. Yeah, it has. But let's take a little deeper dive here into the content itself, particularly the gated versus ungated content. Yeah. You know, you get questions about this all the time. I get them occasionally. I encourage people to share a lot of content on the free side of the universe. Right. So, you know, I write for one of the publications, but I write uh, with the proviso that my stuff stays on the ungated side of the, uh, of the publication. I want it open to anybody. Yep. Um, otherwise I'll find a different venue. So, Pros and cons. Absolutely. And, you know, I often start this conversation with, you know, one of my favorite movies, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, a incredibly scathing view of, of the sales business. And Alec Baldwin comes in as the sales director. And, you know, do you know how much I paid for this watch? Famous scene. But, you know, always be closing. Where are the leads? I want the leads. And I'm I'm sure that some of your listeners have sales directors, sales VPs 
that sometimes have that attitude. So that inevitably leads to a gated versus ungated conversation. So the pros um, of a show like yours, the ungated uh, content is you're gonna get greater traffic, you're gonna get SEO because so many more people can access it. The flip side, the pro to gated, of course, is you're gonna get personal attribution. Um, now I will say, as long as you are qualifying that person and you know, you know that the email or the phone number is legitimate. So those are the pros and cons, but you know, some, of the, some of the stats to consider, Mark, most of the sales research is done far before a prospect raises his or her hand. I mean, you've heard the percentages. One of the percentages I've heard was a presentation last year at you know, GMARC U's uh, GAIN conference. And I think it was Tracy Moon of uh, what was then Veridin, uh, since purchased by FireEye. She called it the dark funnel. 75% of activity is done by consumers, prospects doing their own research about you before they want to engage with you directly. So if we use that percentage, you know, Forrester, I think, puts it at 65 to 70, but you're going to lose at least that much um, traffic if you decide to gate something because those people are dark for a reason. They don't want to identify themselves yet. The need isn't there. Their research isn't completed. Um, so, so, you know, and I think 75% could be a conservative estimate of the traffic you're going to lose. Um, then there's, you know, what's going to be the click-through rate of gated content. Um, now, if you go to some business-to-business -business sources, you might see something around 2 to 3%. Um, but you and I were having a conversation, and, you know, we were talking about numbers as low as, you know, 0 0.04 click-through on a business-to-government email. Um, so the numbers are going to be quite smaller. And in fact, it's interesting, you know, LinkedIn, um, you know, nobody knows more about LinkedIn than you, but I've got clients who run uh, promoted content on LinkedIn and LinkedIn says that anything, <coughs> anything above a 0 0.0, a 0 0.3 click through rate should be considered a success. So, you know, take those numbers into consideration as you're making um, these decisions. And then of course, what stage of the sales funnel is this content designed for? If it's towards the higher end of the funnel where you're working more for brand awareness, um, you know, you're working more for thought leadership, then I would argue strongly that it should not be gated. As you move down the funnel and people have already indicated interests, they've, engage with you, they've consumed a certain amount of content, they're moving along, however you've set up your lead scoring methodology, then it makes sense to start to gate something like an in-depth webinar or something like that. Yeah, the, the more technical white paper as opposed to the executive overview, right. um, those types of things. Right. Um, what happens if you gate too early? You know, if you gate too early, I think you're going to, as I said, scare off or, you know, not engage with the vast majority of the traffic that you're probably paying to bring people to that site or that page. And you're, you're just missing out. Now, on the other hand, Mark, you, you and I have also discussed there are things you can do to still 
establish ROI, even if you're not gaining. Uh, so do you want me to go into some of those? Yeah. The, what, what the, give me the questions, because that's key to all this. On my site, I have no gated content. Okay. All of it's thought leadership related. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I'm a marketing guy, and if this is of interest, there's always more. Yeah, totally makes sense. But, I mean, you, you might be making use of uh, UTMs, uh, right? Uh, Urchin tracking modules yes i had to look that i had to look up what the acronym meant before this call um but basically there are extensions on a url that you can put it's actually identified very much with google because way way back in 2005 google bought the company that first developed utms so basically a utm can tell you where the click happened the content that that was consumed the campaign that it's assigned to, if you assign it to a campaign, it basically can tell you pretty much everything except downloaded who read the link. So it's a, it's a very useful way to determine, for instance, you know, if you're a marketing director, you want to have certain answers at the tip of your tongue, right? Yep. Hey, where does our content come from? Does it come mostly from email campaigns or from social media networks? Which, which social media network? sends us most of our content. Hey, how did that syndicated content perform? Where did the traffic come from? UTMs can give you that sort of information. Another thing that you can do, and which a lot of my clients like to do, it, it's almost like a hybrid, right? You can have ungated content on your site, but then you can also include a link, sort of like, a, hey, if you like this, if you wanna go deeper, include a link to some gated content inside the ungated. So you're making it crystal clear to your prospect. Hey, here's the progression. If you're with me, maybe you want, maybe you're ready to take that step. If you're not, please enjoy this ungated piece of content that I hope indicates why my company has a particular expertise in this area. And then one more thing that some of my clients do, they um, work with, reverse IP providers. Uh, so in other words, there's a, there are companies out there that maintain huge databases of the IP addresses of major corporation, of corporations in the entire country and most of their senior staff. They can tell you that somebody from Xerox in the Rochester, New York location came to the site and read this. And then they can also take an educated guess based on staffing of who that person might be. And some of my clients find that information useful. So it's hardly a you know black and white situation. There's a lot that you can determine without putting up a hard gate in front of content. Okay, let's take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Chris and I will return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Chris Parente of Storytech Consulting. Chris, give your website, please. Sure. Thank you, Mark. It's not nice. It's long but simple. Storytech Consulting, S-T-O-R-Y-T-E-C-H, consulting.com. There you go. That's simple. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about key performance indicators here. There's different KPIs at different stages. What might they be? That's absolutely right, Mark. Um, and you, if you try to skip ahead too fast, you're, you're going to fail. So 
what I like to do is I like to cut it into three. So there's basically um, what I like to call the audience growth phase, okay? And the objectives and the KPIs are different based upon what phase you're in. So if you're in an audience growth phase, or you know, if you like marketing acronyms, TAM, you know, total addressable market, you're looking to build awareness. You're looking for thought leadership. At that stage of a uh, you know marketing department's growth, I would suggest the KPIs are, you know, a rise in unique visitors to your site, um, an increase in the percentage of return visitors, uh, things like pages per visit, you know, how engaged are they? I mean, those are persuasive KPIs that you're on the right track. Now, as you continue to move forward into what I like to call, you know, the beginning of a conversion phase, now you're, you're still not at the point where the leads are being converted uh, or handed off to sales, in my opinion, because here the objectives are, you know, you want to take those anonymous visitors, even if you might know a lot about where they're coming from and why, because of the things we mentioned in the last segment. So you want to turn them into what I call content leads. So what does that mean? So that means how many, for instance, it could mean a KPI, like how many people are signing up for your newsletter? How many people are signing up for your newsletter versus how many people are opening your emails? Those sorts of uh, percentages. And then here's where you want to start introducing some gated content. And what's the success ratio? What are the number? What's the conversion rate of that gated content? Let me ask so, you a quick question here. Sure. Signing up for a newsletter technically is gated content. Yep. Okay. That is true. So that would, thank you. That would be an example of take dipping, let's call it dipping your toe into gated content. Right. Because, because they've, They've already done something to indicate interest, whether they've just hit your website, whether they've read an article and so forth. So, yes, that would be a great intro, shall we call it, into the concept of, of gated. You know, so at this point, we're coming closer to the, you know, the bottom of the sales funnel. So now we're starting to look for sales ready leads. So here the objective is to you're, you've been nurturing them. So they're going to be ready to contact you and seriously consider purchasing your product or service when they need it. So now what are the KPIs? Well, here are the KPIs that will, you know, start to warm the cockles of that uh, sales director, sales VP, right? Because now you're talking about marketing qualified leads. Now you've got enough data to start pulling together pipeline revenue estimates because you're establishing your percentages. You know, I start with X, they move through the funnel. So now I can say that if we've got, you know, 5,000 people, I can come up with a revenue number based on that. And then of course you can come up with a lifetime value of a customer, start comparing that to your marketing spend and refute the idea that, you know, marketing is a cost center. It's not an integral part of sales success. So those are some of the KPIs that I like to talk about with clients. Okay. I want to back up just a second here because while you were talking about, you know, the audience growth phase, the unique visitors, return visitors, page visits, these things can apply to LinkedIn if you are 
active at all sharing information on LinkedIn, other people's content or generating your own. Sure. So, uh, so the views, the likes, the comments on each of yours, all of these drive your own page views as well, your own profile views. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely but, true. But you can't gate. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can't gate. But you can certainly build up your own audience mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. Um, now, somebody like you fully realizes I still run into clients that do not. Let's say I've got 10,000 followers to my company. Just because I put out a story in my news feed on LinkedIn does not guarantee that all 10,000 of my followers are going to see that. No, it's like a Twitter feed. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's why some of my clients are interested in going down the promotion route. But yeah, you, you certainly need quality content. And in fact, something else that you and I have talked about in the past, going back to the dark funnel, the 60 to 70% doing their own research, if you're not educating your prospects, someone else is. And if they don't recognize any significant differentiation between you and your competitors, the only thing they're going to be deciding on is price. So you're going to be negotiating for, you know, lowest price, technically acceptable LPTA, which I don't think is anywhere a contractor or a provider of service wants to be. No, um, if, if you're negotiating down on a perpetual basis just to win business, you're probably going to end up out of business. Right, exactly. So, exactly. again, nearing, nearing the bottom of the uh, uh, funnel, what are, you, what are you doing to hand these off when they're sales ready? What are the, where, where, how do you differentiate here? You know, that's a great question, and that varies from uh, company to company, Mark. You know, some of them want a hard handoff if they feel strongly that their sales team is fully on board with the consultative sale and, you know, won't just, you know, call that person up and say, hey, I uh, understand you're ready to talk sort of thing. Um, <laughs> others take a team <coughs> approach, you know, sort of like almost like a uh, – a sales engineer is there along with the main salesperson, but in this case, it's a marketing person. Um, and then at some point, of course, marketing has to become engaged again after they become a customer. Um, you know, this is something that's very important because you want to hold that customer's hand, make sure they're getting the most value out of the product or service and hopefully increase them, perhaps increase their value, increase their, you know, their lifetime usage of your product or service. So yeah, it's, it varies long answer to a, it varies very much based on the company. Okay. Yeah. The, the lifetime value concept actually also goes back to uh, the direct marketing world and Madison Avenue type advertising when they finally realized that, you know, a lot of consumers may not buy every day, every week, but the lifetime value of a particular customer buying even a shampoo, if you can wed them to that particular type of shampoo, then the lifetime value goes from, you know, two bucks a bottle to several hundred dollars a bottle. You wed them to the brand and you can expand that to other products. So the exactly. lifetime, the lifetime value factor, I mean, I, I remember reading about this 
back in the 80s when I was just starting my business because my college degrees are in American literature. So on the mark on the marketing side, I am self-taught and experientially taught. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so my library goes deep and far back. Got it. (laughs) Got it. Well, somewhat similar here, Mark, my undergrad was poli sci. So I have a, I have a genuine interest in living close to DC. And in fact, I don't know if I've told you this, but you know, back in the day, so this is before I got into my mark. Well, no, I was marketing, but before I got into B2G, I was working at, uh, the American political network. We were in a overstuffed townhouse in Vienna, and we were doing same-day media reports of everything the media was saying about politics, which was cutting edge at the time. And I worked with the likes of uh, Chuck Todd and Nora O'Donnell. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It makes me smile every time I see them on TV now. Uh, Yep, they would come in at four in the morning and... We would do, you know, this was news clip days and, you know, the subscribers dialed into a uh, bulletin board with a different phone number based on the board speed of their modem. I mean, we're, you know, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is back then. It was the 56K, politi- dude, let's uh, rock. Man, the political hotline. Yeah. And then it was uh, purchased by National Journal um, and it, it continues to this day. It's funny to see uh, folks you used to know way back when becoming so prominent in the media field. For sure. Right. But it is illustrative of the evolution of the distribution of particular media to a very defined audience. Absolutely. The Letterman show, the Leno show, political consultants, um, high profile lobby firms, uh, interest groups, everyone had to have it. It was uh, quite an interesting uh, experience. for sure. Yeah. The late night comics that that's kind of funny. Uh, But, you know, they had to get that information from somewhere, right? Yep, absolutely. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Chris and I will wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Chris Parente of Story Tech Consulting, storytechconsulting.com. You know, we we talked about the ROI of content. We've talked about a, a variety of issues around content, but let's talk about you know a company contacts you or doesn't contact you. How does a company decide, or how do you help companies decide what topics to address in that content? How do you decide what's germane to specific audiences? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Great question. So what I try to do uh, and what StoryTech tries to do, which, by the way, is not just me. I've got an impressive roster of uh, very intelligent and uh, experienced people who are, quite frankly, available because of the contraction in a lot of the trade media talking about technology, right? So what what we do is we... You know, we talk to the client about what, what, you know, what's their, uh, another marketing term, what's their USP, what's their unique selling prop, what makes them honestly different than someone else. And Mark, you know this, you know this better than I do. There's a whole lot of similar messaging in the B2G space. There, <laughs> there, there is a reluctance to be the first company to say it this way or phrase it that way. Um, or use humor. <laughs> uh, yeah, or, or God forbid, use humor. Yes. So a lot of what I do and my team does is we, we sit down with the client and, and we don't, 
I mean, there's lots of shops in this town that will specialize in messaging. You know, we'll take three months to tell you uh, what shade of blue you should use on your website. That's not what we're into. But, you know, we do sit down with the client and ask some honest questions. You know, how can we differentiate this message? Particularly if, you know, you've got, a, you know, competitors who are in the same space. I'll give you an exciting example. And this is a few years ago. I had a satellite client and a, this client was, they were not happy about the fact that the military um, is going through an evolution of thinking about space. And right. You can't pick up a publication without reading that. And in the past, uh, the military would much prefer to put up their own constellations that they totally controlled. And for a number of reasons, price, the availability of launch facilities, that's just not feasible any longer. But there remains this reluctance on the part of the military to work collaboratively with the commercial sector and take advantage of commercial resources. Now, it isn't that they don't do it. In fact, 80% of military uh, broadband tra satellite broadband traffic or more travels on commercial networks. But there's, the, there's this reluctance. They, do, they, they don't like it. They would like to control the whole thing. So a few years ago, my client and I worked on a series of articles that compared the military's reluctance to the five stages of grief. Anger, denial, leading eventually to acceptance. And, you know, that sort of analogy had never been used before. And it, it helped us break through based upon readership numbers and things she heard from people that had read the article. So that's what I try to bring. I try to bring some creativity, some differentiation to a company in the, and in specifically technology. So, you know, what's hot right now, you know, tick 3.0 um, CDM last year was red hot. It will remain hot. Um, FedRAMP, under, you know, deeply understanding FedRAMP. Um, those are the things, you know, and, and just, you know, 20 plus years, 25 years of experience working in the tech industry, we don't need to start at ground zero. You know, when we come into a client, we're already educated on the market so we can go right to what's your differentiation and how we're going to, how we're going to get that out. Does that concept ever meet resistance? Absolutely. To some extent. Absolutely. Sure. There's the, you know, what's, <laughs> we've had meetings and you, you know, you say, okay, so how are you different? And I said, well, our differences are people. <laughs> you know, I am, <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that one. I, I am sure that your people are outstanding, but that is what every firm, that's what every company says, you know, let's go a little bit deeper. And I think that's the value mark of bringing someone in from the outside. I, I think there's a lot of value. Obviously, there's a lot of talented people in this town, and there are there are companies that have in-house resources. Um, but when you bring in somebody from the outside, you're you're just going to have more. That person is going to have more objectivity. Is going to be able to take a step back where an internal person, you know, might just not feel free to say some certain things or, or 
challenge in such a way as to get to a, a true differentiator? I have been brought in on numerous occasions to act exclusively in that capacity. The D.C. office understands government, corporate doesn't, whether they're in Omaha or Silicon Valley, right? Right, right. So Mark is brought on to have the discussion of why this market is different. How do you have to treat it differently? Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have, you know, the best uh, widgets, but, you know, the, they may not apply to all of government. They may only apply to these parts of government. But we want to sell to all the government. Yeah, I've had a few of those conversations. I'll bet. And you know what? It's almost inevitable that part of our engagement with clients is public sectorizing, federalizing mm-hmm. whatever content they already have. Yeah. So that's that's often a first step. Yeah. I want to touch on one other thing before we, uh, we wrap up. Um, and that is, you know, content is king, blah, blah, blah. But it's so much easier to produce bad content right. than good content. Right. And, you know, go back to the myopia of doing everything in-house. Yes, you know, your techies know a very particular thing, but they don't know how to tell a story. They don't know how to get out a message that's going to resonate with the breadth of decision makers. They may, they may write something or say something compelling to another pure techie, but if that doesn't resonate with contracting, if that doesn't resonate with a program manager, you, you just shot yourself in the foot. So exactly. if you see bad content, is that an opportunity for you or do you just avoid those people like the plague? <laughs> wow. Great. Uh, that's, that's an interesting way to phrase the question. Um, so I wasn't I, sure how I was going to phrase it. <laughs> I would view it as an opportunity. Um, I would view it as an opportunity, and, and you know what? And let me tell you, let me tell you a way that demonstrates. Okay, so and I hope this is answering the question. But a lot of times for clients, what I do is I'm able to write a guest article for typically an executive and have it placed in one of the federal trades. Okay, and by doing so, I have to make it very clear to the client that hey, this is not a sales pitch. Even though it's an opinion piece, this has to be high quality or else the publication won't accept it, okay? And once they see that work, uh, and so here I'm trying to answer the question, once they see it work and they, we get the placement and the publication didn't change a word, then it seems sometimes a light bulb goes off because they're like, oh, okay, because we still got our messaging across it's still saying what they want to say and while it doesn't explicitly say and you can call me about this problem i mean it's pretty obvious from a to a reader that if someone's writing something and they work for vmware or they work for deloitte then that's who's going to be able to solve their problem but it's done in a way that educates the reader I found that once that starts to work, a light bulb goes off and they say, oh, okay, better content, higher quality content can get, our, can get the job done. Um, that is a huge, a, a huge help. And that goes back to our discussion about the research that Forrester and Gartner and the 
corporate executive board did that right. you know the buying process is 60 70% research which is done prior to reaching out to any particular vendor so being in that food chain early providing them good information overview information and then get deeper down once they get to your website um mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And we could do a, and as you know, we could do a whole nother show about how your website should be organized. <laughs> you've got, you've got a, you've got a section to tell your own story, but then you've got a section for much more technical information once you've moved someone farther down the funnel. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, we may have to do a, a show on what does a good website look like and, and, how to make it easier to navigate than those that are out there. Absolutely. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Greatly appreciated. Chris Parente, storytechconsulting.com. And you can find Chris on LinkedIn. Thank you, Mark. Really enjoyed it. Yes, this is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government. I'm not an ad agency. I won't implement, but I do advise companies, large, medium, and small and uh, particularly on content development, dissemination, thought leadership, and leveraging LinkedIn. If, if those things resonate, reach out, markamtower at gmail.com. Find me on LinkedIn, and thank you for listening to Amtower Off-Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.